Again, thanks for being here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Keep praying for Betty Yankel. So there's a lot of people looking for jobs right now as well. There's just a lot of stuff uh, going on, but we know God is completely in control. So let's pray again before we look at Galatians chapter 4. Holy Father, God, we just thank you that you did come and rescue us. Thank you that we were without any hope without you, but you chose to send your son for us so we can rest in the fact that we have hope. Lord, thanks for the ability to sing and worship to you. Thank you for the testimonies of people and how you work in people's lives. We've got to pray that right now you just help us to surrender our hearts and submit our wills to you. I pray you would speak to us through your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would just take away anything that would distract us from hearing from you and help us to be willing to say we will obey and we will follow you alone. Lord, I pray that you just be with those who are struggling physically, that you would continue to heal them and strengthen them. Be with the ones who are just struggling emotionally, that you would uh, help them to know that you are God and that you are good and that you are with them. And God, I pray with all those who are just there's many decisions that people have to make this week and are trying to, in the next few months, that you just give them wisdom and lead them, and that they would be able to glorify you and lift you up and magnify you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are in the book of Galatians, and so we are going to cover Galatians chapter 4, verses 12, all the way through verse 31. So a big chunk I'm going to read here in a second. But I think there was some baseball played um, this week. Did anybody watch the uh, World Series? Um, I am not a huge baseball fan, but I do watch the, the World Series. And I was unable to catch much of it, but what I was able to catch was, I think, Thursday night when they had the classic game, went to the 11th inning. I just happened to flip the channel over. I think it was Lance Berkman was, is that, is that right? It was up to bat. What's his name? Um, no, see, I'm not a huge baseball fan. Anyway, the guy was up to bat, and the Cardinals had, had started to come back, but they were down to one strike and one out, and it would have been all over. And he was standing there waiting to hit, take the hit, Pressure was on. The place was just going nuts. Intense pressure. Nothing mattered in the past. The only thing that mattered was that moment and the future. And he pitched it, and he hit a base hit. Kept it going, and the Cardinals ended, ended up winning the whole thing. John Piper says this in Future Grace, The only life I have left to live is future life. The past is not in my hands to offer or alter. It's gone. Not even God will change the past. All the expectations of God are future expectations. All the possibilities of faith and love are future possibilities. And all the power that touches me with help to live in love is future power. This is good news for us who follow Jesus Christ. The past cannot and will not be changed. God himself will not change your past. Good or bad, it will not change. What we have to look forward to, though, is the future. And we have a God who is a God of the future. And he desires us to live in future grace. That's our hope. That is the gospel truth. That is the future that we long for. And all those things that have taken place in the past 
are just that. They're past. And what God wants to do in us, his desire for us, is to transform us. And God, by his amazing grace and his redemptive plan, has always been about changing people for the future. He is in the process of restoring us for the future. God is all about transformation and restoration, which means if you had a terrible childhood, that does not have to dominate your life. If you have had terrible work experiences, that does not have to dominate your life. If your family struggles has been difficult in the past, that does not have to dominate your future. We have a hope and a future God. Future grace is available to us because God is about transforming us and restoring us. But this morning, we're going to look at how does that transformation actually take place? How does God do a gospel transformation in people's lives? Some of you have had that happen to you. Some of you have had horrific childhood experiences. And it is only the grace of God that you're sitting here today, right? Without God, you would not be here. There's no reason that you would be here. But God came into your life, and he miraculously transformed your life. How did that happen? And why is that so important for us to know why that happened? Gospel transformation occurs, and it's important for us to know, because people matter. People matter. God says people matter, that he sent his son for us. People matter. And God designed people to reach other people. He didn't design animals to reach people. He designed people to reach people. All through the Bible, when God had a message to tell somebody, he either came himself, and if he couldn't come himself, he would send a person. He would send a prophet. He'd send an apostle. So they would hear from God. People matter. God designed people to reach people. And the ultimate purpose of God is for Christ to be formed in you. That's the ultimate purpose of God from verse 19 of Galatians chapter 4. And when Christ is formed in you, when your life is transformed by the power of the gospel, that brings glory to God. And it makes much of Jesus Christ, which is God's ultimate purpose, is to make much of Jesus. So if you are here and your life has been difficult in the past and you don't think there's any hope for the future, it's not true. Because God's whole purpose in sending his son was to transform people's lives so his son can be lifted up and be exalted and we would make much of God. But how is this done? And how can we be a part of seeing that happen in people's lives? That should excite us to know that we, God uses people to transform people and we can be a part of that. In Galatians chapter 4, 12 through 31, I think is telling us how gospel transformation occurs. It's a long passage, but I'm going to read it. It's God's word. Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 through 31 says this. Brothers, Paul's talking to a church of people who are on the cliff of getting ready to step away from the gospel. They're about ready to jump off. And Paul's pleading with them and begging them not to do it. Stay close to the gospel. Brothers, I entreat you, Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me. 
but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but not for good purposes. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, where the law was given, bearing children for, sl- for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers... We are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that God sent his son, Jesus, to live a life that we could not live, that he was killed, he was crucified, he was buried, and that he rose again. And that gives us hope. That changes everything. That's the gospel. And your response to the gospel, can transform your life. It can be that thing that will change, it will transform your life. That's God's purpose for us. And we need to be out doing this for other people, helping them see how that their lives can be transformed. How does that happen, though? It happens by people reaching other people. And the gospel transformation occurs in three ways, I think, from Galatians chapter 4. It's when people with a gospel passion are mixed with people willing to not short-circuit the process who are guided by the providential promise from the sovereign God. When that takes place, people's lives are transformed and futures are made different. And we can be a part of that. But it begins with us. People. People with a passion for the gospel. You've been gripped with the gospel. The Apostle Paul was a man who was completely gripped with the gospel. When he was writing to this church in Galatia, they, he had come to them, preached the gospel to them. He was telling them the direction in which they should go, and then they walked away. They were starting to listen to other people, and they were starting to fade away. And instead of letting them go, he said, no, I can't do this. I am going to pour out my life for you. 
I'm going to do everything I can to stop you from leaving the gospel. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to hunt after you. I'm going to write this letter to you, which is hard for me to write, but I'm doing it not for my own good, but for your good, because I care about you. He was a person, Paul, with a passion for the gospel. What does a gospel passion look like? It looks like what Paul was. He was absolutely gripped by the gospel. Verse 12 says, Brothers, I entreat you. Up to this point in Galatians that we're looking at, Paul has been telling these people he's had to defend himself. He's had to explain what the gospel is, that it's not about doing things. It's not about adding to your life the law. It's not about being circumcised. It's not about following ceremony. It is about what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you alone. That's the gospel. And if you trust in Jesus Christ alone, by faith alone, your future will be dramatically transformed, and you will have hope. If you don't, there is no hope. And Paul is passionate about this. He is absolutely gripped by this message because his life has been transformed. People with gospel passion have had lives that are gripped by the gospel. Paul says, brothers, I entreat you now. Now, after telling you all the things I've told you up to this point, now I'm telling you this is what you must do. It's his first imperative in the whole book of Galatians. This is what you must do. I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Paul said, listen, I was just like you. I was suffering under the law. I thought to be made right with God, I had to do all these things, follow the law, follow what God, I thought that would make me right with God, and I spent my life doing that. But then I became like you, people who didn't even know the law. I gave up the law so I could receive Christ. And now he's saying, become like me. My life has been gripped by the gospel. It has radically transformed me and radically changed me. Things are totally different. Has you been gripped by the gospel? Is that your story? Would you be able to say that your passion for the gospel is so much and the reason it is so much so is because you have seen it in your life, you've experienced it, you know what it means to have Jesus come in and change areas that you never thought anybody could change. To go into rooms of your heart that were locked and have them broken open by Jesus and bring you forgiveness and healing. Paul was that kind of person. He was gripped by the gospel. He was completely gripped by the gospel. It motivated him. It motivated him to live his life for people who are right now rejecting him. He said, I'm not going to let you walk away. My life has been radically changed. He has been gripped by the gospel. I was at a conference for the last two days, and there was a pastor named David Helm. He's a pastor in Chicago, and his dad was there. He's 87 years old. And his dad was a former NBA coach for years, assistant coach. But he's 89 years old now, and he had just came back on Thursday from Poland on a missions trip. Because his life, at, even at 87, his life has so been gripped by the gospel that he could sit home and, after, and live in his good retirement life and just kind of enjoy all his work, but instead he had been so gripped by the gospel that he's giving up to go to Eastern Europe to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has a passion for people because he doesn't want them to not know Jesus Christ. Is that your life? 
Have you been gripped by the gospel? People with gospel passion have been gripped by it. They don't want other people not to know the gospel because it so changed them, not just out of duty, but out of absolute experience and emotion. They have to tell people about the gospel. And Paul says this, he is absolutely confident in the gospel. That's someone with gospel passion. He says, you did me no wrong. He's telling these people, I know I was the one that preached the gospel to you. I know I was the one that came and shared Christ with you and that you, and you seemed to follow it. And now you're walking away. But I want you to know, you're not doing me any wrong because when I first met you, you guys were great to me. You did absolutely nothing wrong to me. And now even as you start to walk away, you're not hurting me. You are not doing me any wrong. I'm not taking offense at this at all. It takes a special kind of person. He invested his life in them. He poured his soul out to them. And now they're starting to walk away. A person not gripped with gospel passion is going to say, I tried. It's not my fault. I'm done with him. That wasn't Paul. He was gripped by the gospel, and he had so much confidence in the power of the gospel. He says, you're not offending me. What you are, what you are offending is the God of the universe, and if you don't change... There is no hope for you. I don't want to see that happen to you. So I'm going to keep telling the gospel to you. I'm going to keep telling you about Jesus. The Apostle Paul knew that he was a servant of God. He was not the center of the work of God. He was just a servant of God. And so often we can easily put ourselves in the center of the world. That It's all about us. And people don't buy into our message or don't buy into us. Well, then they're wrong and we're right. It's not true. People with gospel passion who have been gripped by the gospel, we would say, you know what? My confidence is in the gospel. My confidence is not in my ability to express the gospel, my ability to even live out the gospel, but my confidence is in what Jesus Christ did for me alone. And he's going to stand in that. That's what he told these people. He goes, become like me. I don't want you to go that way. Become like me. And you're not offending me. It's not me that you're offending. As a matter of fact, I love you. Because when you were with me, when I was first with you, you guys were great to me. Look what it says. He goes in verse 14, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. This was not the place that Paul wanted to originally go. He was on his way somewhere, but he got very, very sick, the Bible says, and so he had to stop into Galatia. And he, while he was extremely sick, extremely ill, that's where he first started to talk to these people about the gospel. I didn't really plan to be here, but this is where God placed me. And this is how you treated me. When, I was, when you were helping me in my sickness, I stood up and I spoke the gospel to you. And apparently, whatever Paul's disease was, the Bible doesn't say. There's a lot of speculation. But whatever Paul's disease was, it affected him in his physical appearance. That to look at him was, all, was just disgusting. It was gross. It would be hard to look at, it says. He goes... And though my condition was a trial to you, you know, it was just, to look at him even, was just painful to watch him. And to hear him speak, it just looked miserable and disgusting. He goes, I know it was a trial to you, even to just listen to me speak to you. But you received me as an angel of God. It would have been very easy for Paul and his sickness. He wasn't planning to go to Galatia in the first place. It would have been very easy for him to go, to stay in Galatia and just suffer, wouldn't it? 
just to be laying in bed, getting some nice people to take care of him. And you know, people know my pain. I'm just going through a hard time. I just, I don't, ha- I don't, I have no obligation. I don't think God will put me under any obligation to share the gospel in this kind of condition. Doesn't God would understand? He knows what I've been going through. He knows the last few months of my life. He knows how hard it's been. He knows how the struggles. Surely, God, you're not going to require me to, to be about the gospel now. Just let me lay here until I can actually get to where I want to go. That's not somebody who's gripped with the passion of the gospel. Paul said, no, I am going to keep sharing the gospel. It was a genuine expression of the gospel. He loved these people. So much so that even in his pain, even in his suffering, even in his physical grossness, these people heard the gospel. He lived a genuine life in front of them. Because the other option that Paul could have done was he could have said, it's just difficult. He could have moaned and groaned and complained and become bitter and angry at God and all these different issues. And the other people who were watching his life and listening to his story, they could have said, yeah, that's not the God I want. Your God's just not doing it for me. But they looked at Paul's life in the midst of one of his most intense struggles, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and they listened to his message, and the message and the messenger were the same. They saw that Paul was just a human. He still struggled. He still had problems, but he had such a genuine life that they said, I want what that guy's got. That's someone who's been gripped with the gospel. Is that you? If you were to evaluate the last few months of your life and the last few months at work and the people that are around you and your situation, would you be able to, they say, hey, that guy's, there's something absolutely different about him. He has a passion that I don't have. He has something in his life that I need. Is your message and you as the messenger the same? If we are going to see lives transformed, we have to have lives that are gripped with passion, not lives that are without mistakes. I mean, Wednesday night, that's the beauty of being in the church, an incarnational ministry, not just always seeing things um, outside or watching it on TVs. You actually get to know the person that's sharing something to you. That's good in church, that we see each other's faults and flaws. I'm standing up here Wednesday night and asking for testimonies and prayer requests, and someone tells me something that I did not know, and I thought I should have known it. And my reaction in front of everybody was not good. Uh, I just was, I was like, what, you people didn't tell me? And after, it was in the middle of prayer service. You know what's good about It was wrong of me to do that. But you know what's good about that? Is I'm not God. I am a flawed individual who needs the gospel every day. We need to rub off on each other and say, you know what? That wasn't good, Paul. And I say, you're right. No, I'm wrong for doing that. But that's incarnational ministry. I think that was Paul. He's lying sick in Galatia. He's not feeling well. And I'm sure someone might have came to him sometime during that time. I mean, he was, a, he was quite the character. Somebody had to come to him and say something to him and probably caught him at just the wrong moment and possibly, don't you know I'm having a problem here? Leave me alone. But I'm sure because the gospel was so much a part of Paul's life and he was so gripped by it, he could have come back to them, sought forgiveness, and they said, wow. That's a life. That's a life. And that's what God will use to transform people. People with a gospel passion. Like that, when they are mixed with people willing not to short-circuit the process. Because that's what the Galatians church was doing. 
This was a church who heard the gospel and they wanted to be right with God. They wanted to be justified, but, in, but they didn't want to do it in God's way. They wanted to short circuit the process. Look what it says in verse 17. These people had come in and started telling them it's Jesus plus something else to be right with God. It's Jesus plus something. And, and Paul says that's not the gospel. And they started to believe this. And Paul says, don't short circuit this process that God's trying to do in your life. He says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that they may make much of them. Really, Paul was explaining to them that this is what these people from Jerusalem want to do. They're Jews. They don't like you Gentiles. And they want you to follow the law. But they know that a Gentile really can't fully follow the law. So if they can get you to follow Jesus and the law, they've just shut you out of the inheritance of Abraham. You're not in the inheritance. You will not be a child of God. You won't have the gospel. You won't have the blessings of Abraham. And Paul says, sure, they're coming to you, giving you everything, bringing you meals, talking to you, talking nicely to you. But it's because they're making much of you so that they can destroy you. I don't want to do that to you. So don't short circuit the process that you're going through. And some of you may be thinking, I'm not sure about this gospel. I'm not sure about Jesus Christ. I've followed him for a while now. It just seems like it gets difficult and more difficult. I'm not sure if the gospel is going to be able to stand, if Jesus is going to carry me through. You know, life is always more difficult and will always be more difficult than we can possibly imagine. It's because everything we experience now, it was never the way it was meant to be. Even your Christian life. Because we live in a broken and fallen world. So everything will always be harder. Everything will always be harder. We just need to kind of accept that. My, even my Christian growth will take longer than I thought it would be. I thought it would be further by now. I'm, I'm 48 years old and I thought I would love Jesus more by now. I'm in my 60s and I'm actually thinking about leaving church. What's up with this? Because when I was in my 30s, I was thinking, yes, Jesus. But it just seems like it's gotten hard. Because life is hard. Because we live in a broken, fallen world, the process will always be longer. But we can't short-circuit the process. And we need people to help this process. What the process is this, is that the process of Christ being formed in us. These people were under intense pressure. They lived in a real world. They had people lying to them, trying to convince them of all these kinds of things. And they, they wanted to be right with God. That was their desire. But they lived in a real world that was difficult. And they thought, well, I'll just take their way because then I know that I'm doing something. I, I can get circumcised. I can eat certain things. And then I'll just know when God says the life of a Christian is by faith, and you can't see the future all the time, but you trust in who started it by the cross of Jesus Christ, and that future grace will be there for you. Don't short-circuit short, don't short the process. Because the Judaizers are just trying to trick you. Whatever Satan's throwing at you right now, don't buy into it. Well, things are hard, so God must not be true. No. Things are hard because we live in a broken and fallen world that will always be difficult. Even your Christian life will be difficult until we're fully restored someday. So don't let hardness mean to you that the gospel is not true, that Jesus isn't who he says he is. It's not true. Then the Gentiles were trying to buy into this, but there was somebody who was not buying into this, and it was Paul. Look at verse 19. He says, My little children... 
For who am I again in the anguish of childbirth? If life are transformed by one person speaking to another person and that's how your life is transformed, it's very messy when you get involved in people's lives. If you want to deal with people and share the gospel with them, it gets extremely messy. It's, Paul says, listen, it's been like childbirth for me. I have not delivered any children, personally. But I have been there for a couple. And here's what happens if you don't know, and you women have experienced this. It is an unbelievably messy, painful process. Because first of all, you're You're normal. And all of a sudden, you get bigger, and you get bigger, and bigger, and then some water stays in your body, which makes even everything else bigger, and you get miserable, and you're just kind of, everything starts to change, and then you go to the hospital, and you're laid down, you got these crazy people all over you running around, and they got things leaping, and all of a sudden, this enormous pain, apparently, uh, starts to take place, um, so I've heard, and so you just are in unbelievable pain, you're, I mean, um, my wife is beautiful, but there was a moment when she was giving birth that the, the, she was in so much pain, blood vessels were bursting in her face. It's not a pretty picture. It's messy. And all of a sudden, this messier thing comes flying out, and it's now two changed people. This is the picture. This is the picture that Paul's saying. He said, this is my, my people, my, my, the church, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It is a messy process when people get with other people to have their lives transformed. And people who are supposed to know the gospel and say we love Jesus, when we get into those circumstances and all of a sudden it gets messy, and it gets difficult, and it gets painful, and it takes our time, and we get frustrated with people. They aren't moving along as much as we think, and they're demanding more from us than we want them to demand. And we think that we can just walk away and say, well, I tried. It's not the gospel. The gospel says that we need people with a passion for the gospel, working with people who are not going to be willing to short-circuit the process. And it is a messy, messy thing. We need a church, and we need people to say, you know what? I'm going to understand that it's going to be hard. I'm going to understand that it's going to be a difficult process. I'm going to understand that people are going to offend me and hurt me. I'm going to tell them one thing, and they're not going to do it, and then they're going to demand things of me, and then I'm going to give the gospel to them, and they're going to walk away, and then they may come back. It's just going to be a messy, messy, slow process. And still say, yes, that's the process that I want to be in. Because it was a messy, slow process for Jesus to become a man, to live for 33 years, and to die on a cross to restore us. This is the way lives are transformed. As you get involved with people's lives. I'm going to give you one practical way for our church to do this. And it is CPR. Real simple. CPR is either to sustain life and then to help life keep going. And as a church, we need to be a group of people around people, getting involved messily. And sometimes, though, just a very simple way for us to do this is we look at the Sunday morning service as an event. You show up and you leave. 
I want to encourage you just to take this one little issue of the Sunday morning service and how we gather as a group. The, the church is not this. The church is people, but the people do gather one day. I encourage you to do some CPR on this one day of gathering and start from there. So show up. So come early and complete it late. What I mean by that is don't walk in at 10.03. Come into church at 9.45 or 9.20 and see people and get to know some people. Talk to some people. And then come late. Finish your day late. Stay after. Don't plan to meet with somebody after church at 11.12. Paul, hurry up. i got to be, family's coming over at 11, 12, 15. Uh, so I need to be home now. Don't do that. Do some CPR so you can sustain life and you can give life for people. So come early enough so you can encourage somebody. Stay long enough so you can pray with somebody. Actually find out what's going on in their life. Get involved in the messiness of gospel transformation. It's real simple. Come early. Pray. Before you get here, pray. It's the P. Pray for the service. Pray, where should I sit this morning? Who should I sit by and encourage? God, lead me to somebody today. Pray. Pray that Paul has a better message than last week. Please, Jesus. Just one. I'll take one. Just pray. Pray for the service. And then R, just read. Read the passage ahead of time. Come prepared to hear the message of what God has for you. CPR. So come early. Pray for the service. Read. Be prepared for the passage. And I think as we just do that little thing, We'll start to see people praying more together, encouraging each other together, being more involved in people's lives, sustaining and giving life, a little CPR for Cornerstone Church. The gospel is people's lives are transformed when people have a passion for the gospel and when they are mixed with people who are willing to not short-circuit the process. When all of those two things are guided by the providential promise From a sovereign God, lives will be transformed. Paul goes into, from verse 21 through 30, he goes into this one more time, this one long explanation. Listen, I've been with with you for a long time in this letter, and I'm trying to tell you, don't jump off the ledge. Don't leave the gospel. And the way you leave the gospel is by adding anything to it. It is Jesus alone. It is not Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus alone. Hold on to that. You are a son of God, not a slave. And so one more time, he gives the explanation of what the law is. It's like Sarah and Hagar back with Abraham. He's trying to say, listen, if you follow Hagar and the law for your justification, you're a slave. But if you follow the promise and Sarah and Isaac, you're a son And this has been providentially, sovereignly ordained by God. God is a promise-keeping God. He promised it back to Abraham that he would make a future and he'd restore and he'd transform lives. And he did it in the person of Jesus. This is a done deal. Follow the promise. And if you follow the promise, God will transform people's lives. And that's what it says in verse 31. So brothers, at the end of all this, so brothers... We are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. We are sons. We are lives that are absolutely transformed and changed, are in the process of being changed by God. This is not a linear thing. It's not like you're the person who loves God, and you meet people who are thinking about avoiding God, and then you're hoping that God has a promise. No, this is a circular thing. 
Sometimes I love the gospel deeply and with great passion. Sometimes I want to short-circuit the process. And sometimes I question God's promise. So I need somebody to come around me and say, no, Paul, don't do it. Believe God's promise. And then sometimes that person needs me to come around them and say, don't do it. Follow God's promise, right? And as that spins, as that circle keeps going, that is like a tornado that will transform people's lives. If that keeps happening, if people who are struggling with the gospel are encouraged to continue in the gospel and stay with God and stay with the promises of God and we keep doing this for each other, we keep passing this around each other and telling each other and encouraging each other, it will spin and will spin and will spin and a gospel tornado will blow through the Route 34 corridor and people's lives will be changed. You can be a part of that. That's what Paul says. Lives are transformed when people with gospel passion are mixed with people not willing to short-circuit the process, and when they're guided by the promise of a sovereign God, lives will be transformed. Your life will be transformed. My life will be transformed. Other people's lives will be transformed as sons of God. What part of the great play of God would you be a part of? Maybe you're here and you're resting in your own plan. You just think, you know what? I don't need Jesus. I really don't need God. It's not true. Come to Jesus. Repent. But maybe, maybe you are a believer, but you're just kind of ready to pull the plug. You're ready, you're ready to be done. All these promises of God you feel have not come through. And that is, I think, more and more coming up in people's lives. I hear it all the time. It's not true. Ask for God's grace and his mercy and the power of the gospel to get you through. You are a son of God. All the inheritances of God are yours. The future is yours by his grace. It will be there for you. Don't unplug. And maybe you need to rethink your plan. Maybe you think, you know, I've tried to be involved in people's lives and it's been difficult, so I'm just going to step away. It gets too messy. It gets too confusing. I'm kind of done. I've been burnt out. I'm tired. It's the worst excuse ever. We need to repent of that and we need to say, you know what? I need to get back in. I need to rethink my plan and get people around you who love the gospel as well and want to encourage you in the gospel so that you can be involved in people's lives and you will hold on to the promises of God. What part of the play will you be involved in? This transforms People's lives. This is God's ultimate purpose. People, reaching people for the glory of God so we can make much of God and his son, Jesus Christ. Where are you at today? What part of the plan will you be a part of? Let's pray. There's no one looking around. I'm just going to ask a couple questions. One, have you been gripped by the gospel? Has there been a time when you genuinely said you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone? for your salvation. If not, right now, I encourage you to just do that. Talk to God. Confess your sin. Repent. Ask Jesus to rescue you. But I think the bigger group today is either people who are ready to unplug or need to rethink their plan of sharing the gospel. Where are you at there? Would you say, God, whatever you would have me to do, I will get back in. 
I will rethink my plan and start getting involved again in people's lives. As messy as it may be, I will trust your promise. Let me encourage you to tell that to God this morning. Maybe you need some help, just prayer support with that. We'd love to encourage you with a prayer team up here. But make a commitment to do CPR and to be involved in people's lives so the gospel can transform other people's lives. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, for his example, for how he loved the church, how he loved the people. God, give us that kind of heart for each other, for individuals, for the difficult ones, for the frustrating situations. Let's give us a heart that says, I want to lift up and magnify Jesus Christ above everything else, and I will do what you ask me to do. I will say yes. You give us all things through you. So help us as a church to do that. Help us as individuals that we lift Jesus Christ up and make him known. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.